You said you'd give anything for a game with me. Anything? What are you talking about, mister? Just what kind of stakes are you talking about? Life or death. You beat me and you live. You lose and you die. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys uh, had um, had a safe holiday um, and and um, didn't meet Lincoln. I don't know. I got I got nothing. I mean, like I guess meeting Lincoln would be cool, but then that would also imply that maybe things didn't go so well. Yeah, yeah. It was a hopefully, uh, like you said, you guys had a good holiday. I know uh, I had a nice relaxing day. Uh, went to the pool, rode the bikes around. It was, it was a pretty good time. Yeah. Got some beer. Yeah. That's a good call. <laughs> Typical American stuff. Yeah. And, and now I think about it, we have Jack Klugman in this episode who who met Gabraham Lincoln uh, in, what was it, uh, season one, uh, Passage for Trumpet, or was that season two? It was, no, season one, wasn't Yeah, season it? one. Yeah. See, everything's getting mixed up now. So, you know, there's yeah. your connection. So anyway, uh, this, this episode is uh, A Game of Pool, season three, episode five, air date October 13th, 1961. Uh, number one film is King of Kings, which I don't know if you're familiar with this one or not. It's one of those ones that my mom like watched a lot. Like there was the one of those two videotape ones that we'd get. Uh, it had uh, Jeffrey Hunter as Jesus, so uh, Captain Pike uh, from Star Trek was Jesus with the bluest yeah, I, eyes ever. I can picture the uh, VHS as soon as you said the the two tape one. I, yeah, I remember that. I've never seen it. Um, I've <laughs> seen it for good reason. I've seen it multiple times. Um, just spoiler alert: Jesus doesn't quite make it out at the end. Uh, but um, <laughs> neither, neither does John the Baptist. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, it was uh, when you think of like this big like uh, biblical epics. I it was it was pretty good. It wasn't like you know. I mean, at this time, it was more of like a quote unquote literal interpretation of what happened, as opposed to trying to insert any type of like other meanings. Right. So. It was, you know, this is one of the, I, I don't know how many other bigger biblical epics happened after this, but this definitely felt like from a, a different time than 1961. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that, that's not this. <laughs> that's the uh, number one song, Hit the Road Jack by Ray Charles. So there you go. Um, very nice. And no, I, I was going to say this uh, aired on a Friday the 13th and uh, tomorrow uh, from the time we're recording, this is going to be Friday the 13th as well. Uh-oh. So I was kind of yeah, excited. There you go. Uh, so I couldn't find anything in regards to the air date other than it being a Friday the 13th. Uh, so the day before, and this is very fitting considering what we're about to talk about, uh, the national bowling league with 10 teams made its debut as the Dallas Broncos defeated the visiting New York gladiators 22 to two, which I don't even know how that score works. Like, is that 22, like winning games of bowling versus two? I don't know. Um, before a crowd of 2000 people. Um, and they, they, so the NBL, which is what it was called, folded two months after it crowned its first and only champion, the, oh, Detroit, no. the Detroit Thunderbirds, who beat the Twin City Skippers on May 6th, 1962. So, um, you know, you, sometimes the, the brightest flames burn the brightest and the shortest, right? So the National <laughs> Bowling League didn't quite make it. I checked. There was no Cleveland team. Not that that's important. But I like the idea that someone's like, you know what? It's the 60s. Times are changing. People's attitudes, things are about changing. It's time for the NBL, the National Bowling League. Yeah. No, I, that's that's a good tie-in because much like uh, uh, pool that we're going to be discussing, I don't understand scoring on bowling and pool. So <laughs> <laughs> two sports that I uh, completely don't really know how to play. I know I have to roll the ball and hit as many pins down as I can, and I know pool um, – 
I play it incorrectly, and I get yelled at every time I play it. So <laughs> I'll have to ask you so, about how you played it incorrectly later, because uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't call shots that kind of well, stuff. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're like you, that. That's that's one of those things that if you want to be serious and be like a jerk at the bar and be like, you know, I'm going to call you call the shots, and if you make it, you make it. It's like no, you're playing. I, I this is okay. Before we get into this, pool feels like one of those games that's like. <laughs> It's the it's the dropping great equalizer. Some, uh, dropping some truth on us. That's here. not a truth, but it's like bowling, right? It's like you go, you play, you win. You, maybe you knock down pins, you don't, whatever. Pool, you go and you make some shots, and if you make one completely that's like pure luck out of your ass, but it looks amazing, that's fun too, right? And but there is there is one of those things that's a low level of entry for you know participation, but that a high level of skill to be a master at it. And yes. so, so yeah, like, I use an excuse to drink. Like yes. <laughs> it's, it's something that you can, uh, you know, go to the bar and much like playing like cornhole or something, you know, it's just like sip on your beer and not really actively pay attention like, to what you're doing. So just like shuffleboard, <laughs> just like shuffleboard. Uh, and yes. also like this weekend I am traveling cross state lines to go for my yearly trek to my friend's uh, croquet tournament. And you think like every year you think I would prepare for this, but I don't. And I'm just like, I'm going to make it to the finals this year with the last game of croquet I played was the one year before when we didn't make the finals. So I'm not prepped for this in any way possible, but God damn it, we're going to make it this time. So I'm, <laughs> but it's one of those games. It's also kind of like, maybe, maybe like you get lucky and you end up doing something, but you know, the people that play it a little bit more often are going to smoke you. And I'm just hoping against hope that I'm making it to the finals. Uh, you said that's this weekend. Yes. Yeah, you gotta you gotta let us know next week how, <laughs> how you do if you made it to the finals or not. I'm gonna write a note down so I remind uh, yeah. remind you next. I'll week. have to give you a blow by blow commentary about how we did not make the finals, but I'll be angry, you know, the entire time. So, um, so yeah, uh, bowling happened the year the day before this, um, and that's all I got in terms of day and date. And then it ended. All right, so. We'll jump into cast and crew. Not too much to talk about here. Um, this episode was directed by Buzz Kulik, uh, return of a pretty prolific director for The Twilight Zone. Uh, you'd remember him from episodes that we've covered, such as King Nine Will Not Return, Trouble with Templeton, 100 Years Over the Rim, and The Mind and the Matter. And Static. Don't forget Static. The, the oh, great- how did I miss Static? <laughs> Everybody did. I think Buzz Kulik yeah. forgot about it, too. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll talk about him a few more times in the future, but I um, wanted to bring him up. And then this episode was written by George Clayton Johnson, a name we haven't seen in quite a while on here. Um, this is his second actual teleplay for the series, the first one being Penny for Your Thoughts from last season. And uh, before that, we talked about him, I think the first time was Execution, yeah, or is it four of us well, are dying? Four of us dying was was his story. I'm not sure. It's been yeah, both of those were yeah. based on short stories by yeah. him. Um, he, the first teleplay was putting for your thoughts, and this was second. But I'm trying to think what came first: execution or four of us are dying? Four of us are dying came first. Okay, yeah. So if you want to hear us talk about George Clayton Johnson a little bit more, you can head back uh, onto our feed and check that episode out. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the the cast on this is pretty pretty expansive, um, just to say yeah. that. <laughs> um, the part I feel bad about this is that there's actually a person that actually filmed some scenes and then they cut it. So there was actually a third person on camera that they just you never know about. So I thought that was kind of funny considering there's only two people that you see the entire time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that first person is Jack uh, Klugman, who we have talked about previously on the passage for trumpet as you mentioned at the beginning of this episode most well known for uh, obviously as oscar from the odd uh, odd couple and uh gotta mention 12 angry men again because love that movie um then next up the uh only other person in this episode is jonathan winters who yeah. plays fats brown and this was his only twilight zone appearance he was a comedic actor um didn't really consider himself a comedian um but kind of just did funny characters, ended up doing a lot of voice work. Uh, the thing I know him for was the fact that he was Grandpa Smurf on the cartoon. Yeah. And and in the recent first two movies. The first I two animated. Were, or not, well, there was the animated mix with live action or whatever. Yeah, he voiced Grandpa Smurf. I guess that was uh, he had retired from acting, but they brought him back in for that. And, that, and I found the sad news is that 
what was it within six or nine days of him finishing his dialogue for the second Smurfs film, he died. So the last thing he did was being Grandpa Smurf, which I mean, I guess is not the worst thing to be known for, but it's like, and from what I understand, the Smurfs films are kind of garbage for family entertainment. So I feel bad about that, but you know, that's, but that's not what I, I I remember him most from being Mirth, uh, who was the son of Mork on Mork and Mindy, where he came down this big egg because, you know, whatever Mork's race of people, they were all from eggs. And the whole thing about about their their you know whatever biology is that they're born elderly and they age backwards. So he played basically an infant slash newborn on the series, and and it was in the fourth season of Mork and Mindy, and their uh, ratings are struggling. So they brought Mirth in to try to you juice the ratings, and it, the show got canceled. So like, I like, um, but Jonathan Winters, I guess, was kind of a hero to Robin Williams, like growing up. So the two of them had like this really great chemistry and he got to bring them on the show and it's like, it's just, you know, fun to see people that get along together and have similar senses of humor. And, and he, John the Winters, if you've ever seen any of his stand up, he's, he's very good and he's very charming. Like, and you get, you get some of that in this episode and we'll talk about his performance more because this is much more a dramatic thing for him. And it's yeah, very, which he didn't do too much of. Yeah. Um, he suffered from a lot of uh, issues, had multiple nervous breakdowns. Yeah, uh, I think he said he was bipolar. Um, and around this time, he was really trying to get into some roles outside of comedy. And it just uh, didn't really work out for him, really spreading his wings and caused a lot of stress uh, in his life. Yeah. So I, just, I want to mention a couple of things about him. One, um, he was a poor student. Uh, Winters would continue talking to himself and he would develop a, a repertoire of strange sound effects. So he was that weird kid that always was trying to do something. Right? <laughs> that that kind of makes sense. And then two quotes that I saw on his on the Wikipedia page for him that I loved. One was, if your ship doesn't come in, swim out to meet it. That's perfect. And then the other one here, which is this is the one we should live by. I couldn't wait for success, so I went ahead without it. That is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, the thing that kind of... Um led me off to him not really considering himself a stand-up comedian or something like that. There's a quote from him. Uh, I don't do jokes. The characters are my jokes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause he would kind of lapse into these like known characters. And I know one of the things he did, and this is something that uh, Will Ferrell has, has jumped on completely is that anytime John, Jonathan Winters would go on the Johnny Carson show, he would show up in a different character or a character that's known. And Carson would have to figure out what was going on. So Winters was staying character the entire time. And it's kind of what Will Ferrell does to Conan and, and everybody else where he just shows up sometimes as like random people. And it's, I really, really enjoy that. I, I know your mileage may vary, but I, I love that. It's kind of like that comedian making himself entertained by just kind of being like, like, like the, the one of my favorite ones is when Will Ferrell shows up as Robert Goulet on Conan O'Brien and talks to oh, Conan yeah. O'Brien like he's Johnny Classic. Carson the entire time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, just, I enjoy so that. So good. Yeah. Um, another depressing thing on his uh, his Wikipedia bio thing. Uh, another strange entry, much like uh, the one actor recently that enjoyed county fairs. Um, <laughs> they just have one of them is he was cremated, <coughs> period. I'm sorry, could you That's repeat it. that? I was dying. I was dying in the background. What would you say? Uh, it's It said he was cremated, period. <laughs> That's one of the facts about it, a trivia about his life. <laughs> oh, what? That's like, so depressing. That is depressing. Like he just, and he was turned into ash, and that's it. You know, like, yeah. Like, yeah. is that trivia that most people have on their bio page like, that are dead? I, I think that people. I mean, eventually, it's going to happen to all of us. And and how and how we're how we leave this world is that important? You know, yeah. like I, I, I mean, mean, maybe there's people that want to like go visit his grave because. I, I know some people like to go find like uh, celebrity graves or something. So mm -hmm. maybe they're like, well, this doesn't exist. He was cremated, you know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like know. he was put into an egg and shot back to planet Mork or sorry, whatever. Ork. Yeah. Cause yeah. there's all this stuff about like the twilight zone and uh, he was in, it's a mad, mad, mad world and everything. There's all these like great little pieces of trivia about his career. And then right in the middle of it was just, he was cremated. Yeah, I guess so. There's that one, whatever actor was we're talking about recently. That like the one image on Wikipedia was of his death certificate. It's like I don't what why 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 is that important? So that's yeah, sad. Weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
He was cremated at a county fair. That's what we found out. But no. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. There's your cast. That, that's yeah. Uh, that's well, it. should we talk about the uh, the missing actress? Yeah. If you want, yeah, I I looked up what she was in. Nothing really caught my my, my eye. But if you want to mention her in passing, certainly that would be. Yeah, yeah we might as well. Yeah. Um, there was an actress named Dee Sharon who was supposed to play Jesse's uh, um, the Jesse's girlfriend, and she ended up being cut out. <laughs> so yeah or no no it looks like it was uh fat's girlfriend yeah brown's up, girlfriend up in, um, okay. yeah somewhere like there was a whole thing like uh we'll talk like serling did a little bit of meddling with the story we'll talk about that when we get to oh the he end. sure did yeah, yeah so. so she really didn't do anything else uh she was an extra in around the world in 80 days and uh something called good neighbor sam she played undetermined secondary role <laughs> <laughs> that's you know i i aspire one day to oh, play undetermined three uncredited role. roles yeah that's that's kind of depressing <laughs> yeah well she couldn't wait for success so she went ahead and without it so there you go <laughs> 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 all right um yeah let, I, let's just get to serling's very um very short and abrupt uh, intro to this and then we'll talk about the episode yeah, well, we we kind of already got the synopsis in the audio at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> that's if you that's paid fair. Attention. <laughs> yeah, but we'll let Serling we'll let Serling have his say before we talk about how he meddled with the story. Sure. Jesse Cardiff, pool shark, the best on Randolph Street, who will soon learn that trying to be the best at anything carries its own special risks, in or out of the Twilight Zone. Like, what if there was the next street over and there was someone really good over there? Like, I mean, Randolph, is Randolph Street really <clears throat> the end-all be-all for pool players? I, there was nothing established about the hierarchy of pool players here, but I have questions. Yeah, yeah I do, too. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> um, yeah, so this episode, um, I kind of want to get out ahead of it. Have you ever seen The Hustler? Um, oddly enough, no, but I've seen The Color of Money, which is the sequel. Uh, hmm. you know, Cause yeah, because yeah. I, I haven't seen it either, but I when doing research for this episode, um, I guess George Clayton Johnson had just read the novel, and he developed this teleplay at the same time they were working on that film based on the novel. Hmm. And so uh, apparently there's a lot of um, similarities between the movie and this episode that were kind of unplanned because neither of them could have seen what each other were working on at the exact same time. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious now to go back and watch that film. I know it's a, I know it's kind of a classic in some circles. So, um, unfortunately I didn't have time to get to it before this episode, <laughs> but I was just curious if you had seen it and, uh, knew no, what those similarities have, were. Have you seen the color of money though? I don't know if you've seen that or not. Um, no, I have not. When I, I mean, when I say it's a sequel, it's straight because it's Paul Newman's character from the hustler, like later in life. And he brings on a protege, basically up a cumber, which is Tom Cruise, and it's a really good movie for for a sequel that has no reason existing. It's it's yeah. awesome, and it deals and it deals with Nine Ball, which I don't know if the Hustler deals with Nine Ball, which is a different game than even what's being played in this episode. Uh, yeah, but, I did. Yeah. Uh, admission: I didn't know there were different pool games. <laughs> <laughs> That's how little I know about the game of pool. Um, I think you'd be billiards, good sir. That's <laughs> this episode should be called the games of pool. Yeah, <laughs> because I didn't realize. Uh, it's like say, do you play poker? And there's like eighty-seven thousand variants of poker, right? I, so. I know that. I know that. But uh, so, what is just traditional pool? Like, well, okay, wh- is that eight ball pool? So yes, where you, and no. where you take turns, and you know you have to. You're either stripes or solids, and then you have to get the eight ball last. Like, what is that called? I, that is called eight ball, and so that's actually referred okay. to. I think that's referred to a straight pool, um, as in like only people that like other the opposite sex can play it. No, that's not what that means. But um, <laughs> so it, that that is that is pool as we know it, where you start off with like the the you know solids and stripes or big ones and little ones, whatever you want to call it, and then you know each side works on theirs, and then eventually the goal is to get to the eight ball and sink it. Right. So that's the one most people know. Nine ball is whenever it's actually one through nine put in a diamond rack, which I'm sure you've seen that before. Uh, and it's shot in sequence. So the whole thing is to try to get to the nine ball and sink it first. So you could, you know, huh. so and since there's less balls on the table, there's more opportunity for someone to run the table easier because there's more access to shots versus like the regular, was it 15, um, 15 balls that are in a rack of a uh, regular. Pool. Yeah. So, yeah. 
That sounds so, kind of fun. Now I want to play that. <laughs> yeah. And then so so what, what happens here, and I guess we're going to jump ahead a little bit, they, they play a version of 8-Ball, but it's, it's, well, it's not 8-Ball, actually. It's, it's what to call it. It's, it's like one in 14 or something. So they or call 14 it, and one. Yeah, 14 and one rack or something. So the whole thing is as they're sinking, like it's it, as they're sinking pool balls, uh, I guess if they, they do it continuously, they get more points. And then whenever there's one ball left on the table, whatever ball that is, that's left where it is. And they re-rack the other ones. Which I saw, I know you saw that happen a few times during the episode. And yeah. it's kind of continuing on. They play for points. That's the thing I'm disappointed with this episode, uh, just for me personally. If I would have understood the game a little bit better, I think that some of the uh, tension would have uh, would have uh, worked on me a little well, bit more. Well, I, I, I will. You know, I, I yeah. got what they were doing because they were pushing in on them and they were sweaty and nervous the, <laughs> whole, the whole time. You know, so like I understood that the stakes were getting higher and it was a close game and everything, but I didn't really know what was happening. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there to the end when we get to that point. Right, I think, yeah, I sorry, think, I, I jumped way ahead. No, but. no, I think I think they actually do a pretty good explanation about the final outcome, about what the stakes are. So I think they do a good job of at least letting you understand what's at stake in terms of the game itself not not the stakes of life or death which we'll get to in a second but the actual like snapshot like the last couple shots of the game i think it actually makes sense from a television standpoint so anyway we're really far ahead here we didn't even we didn't even rack up the story properly before we broke into it there's your pull metaphor um (laughs) yeah yeah. there's not much story here um You want, do you want to take the heavy lifting here? Sure. Um, uh, Jack Klugman's missing um, uh, his his uh, his his roommate um, from the Odd Couple. No, it's, I was I was like, what's that guy's name? And I forget the actual actor. Tony Randall. He's missing Tony Randall, so he's hanging out in a pool hall. That's not what's going on. So Jack Klugman is Jesse Cardiff, who he is like playing a pool by himself and like monologuing about like you know about how he's the best, but everybody always is like, there's always the shadow of, of, of fats Brown always kind of overhead. And he talks about how he could be the best, but people are always going to compare him to this. And he's like griping about this. And he was like, if I, if I could just play him for one game and then all of a sudden you cut to uh, heaven, I guess. And it shows they they don't flat out say it, but he's in a, he's in a big cloudy abyss with one, Lone pool table, which is a cool uh, shot, by the way. No, no pun intended. It's it's a nice overhead shot of this pool table with all black balls. You know, it's it's a cool looking visual, yeah. and you see, you know, Fats is getting ready to go to work. You know, and he's being he's being paged via nineteen fifties telephone operator to come down <laughs> to Randolph Street to face Jesse, and so then he shows up, and Jesse can't believe it, and then it. I, li- I like the whip pan to Rod Serling introducing the episode because it feels like to me, and I know this is not what it was meant to be. It felt like Jesse was bitching at Rod for the first two minutes of the episode. And Rod was still <laughs> over the corner being like, I know, man, I know. Can you believe that? I'll be smoking here too. Like, it just feels like <laughs> that's what it felt like. And it was great. It's like, who yeah, are you talking I, to? It's Rod. He's just talking to Rod Serling. I liked it. Rod, Rod uh, he looked happy in this intro. He did. He looked happy. <laughs> he yeah. didn't look as serious as he usually does. Yeah. Uh, he had kind of a little, little smirk on the side of his face and uh as he was holding the pool cue and um is that what you call it pool cue <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna further I uh, love, bury myself i love how you did all this research for this episode uh i was going to make the joke do you think rod sterling plays with the magic eight ball when he plays pool but i don't know if you're gonna be like i don't understand the concept i'm like okay never what's, mind what's an eight ball what's an eight ball <laughs> there are numbers on these balls <laughs> So, so yeah, so, um, fat shows up and, uh, and basically says, you know, you called me and there's this whole, there's, there's a lot of dialogue about like the idea of legend and that legends serve a purpose. And so you, you, you get the idea that Jesse is confident in his ability, but at the same time, whenever a push comes to shove, he kind of chickens out. And so, and so fats keeps kind of like, you know, uh, prodding at him to get him to get a reaction out of Jesse. Yeah. So he finally offers him. He's like, I'll play you when we put some stakes on it. So um, Jesse is like, wait, what do you want to play for some money or something? He said, no, I want something. What am I going to do with money? I'm dead. Like, (laughs) (laughs) let's play for something, something a little bit different. So he offers him basically life or death to play this game. Um, And eventually, you know, he, he like you said, was talking about how 
Jesse doesn't want it bad enough. And he's kind of amping him up to finally get him to agree. And he eventually does accept it. And uh, I want to talk about uh, his case that holds his cue. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's like this alligator skin case uh, that he keeps it in. I love it whenever uh, Jesse finally agrees to play him. And they go to get set up. And he takes that case. And he comes over and talks to him. He's like, you know, he's like, I had this cue custom made for me. It was like 600 bucks. But when he, the way he holds that case, it's almost like a gangster opening up a Tommy gun. Like it, it, it's something yeah. about like. Well, he, he even says something about, you know, a hunter has his rifle mm-hmm. and all that. And it looks like a gun case when he pulls it down. Oh, so it's, it's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Like, and, and, and I'll say even like we, we, we kind of talked about Jonathan Winters being more comedic. Like before I go any further, he is. Klugman, Jack Klugman's great in this episode too. No, there's no doubt. We've already talked about how he was good in a, in a passage for trumpet. We're going to see him two more times. I love Jack Klugman. I just absolutely he is he is the physical embodiment of Jesse. Like he his face sells so much going on in this episode. But it wouldn't be what it is without Jonathan Winters. Like he yeah, is it's so a, it's good. a really subtle performance. Yeah, um, he sells a lot with very minimal uh, like facial expression it's just like it's all in the eyes almost it's really subtle and really effective yeah and just some of the ways he just says he says things that are jabs that are humorous in the sense that they're like takedowns but he doesn't really make jokes and it's like i i don't know there's there's something towards the end when he starts you know playing a little sly but i like that he's just like you know basically telling jesse over and over again he's like you're all talk you know like are you going to actually do something and it's it's so it's so good because the way he's dressed, he pulls out like that banker visor and puts it on and he yeah. pulls out the cue. It's like, it's time to go to work, you know? And it's like, you just got to respect it. It's like, it's, and also credit to Buzz Kulik. This is a single set pretty much other than the heaven set. And the way that the camera is able to move around and kind of, you know, there's Dutch angles and there's different reactions. It's like, this could have been a very static and very boring episode, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of dynamic things going on and I really, really dug it. Especially when he's pulling that uh, cue case down, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think that's the shot. The camera kind of pulls around in almost like a U shape and repositions, and it's uh, it was actually a, it looked like it had to have been pretty complicated with those cameras. Oh yeah, um, and then just all the like I said, there's a ton of close-ups in this episode, um, and it it gets tighter and tighter as the episode goes on, and as the as the stress levels are rising, it feels like it's getting more claustrophobic around them yeah. which is a interesting way to take this um i like that um that jesse basically he's, he's before they get the game started he's telling not jesse i believe fat fat's telling jesse he's like go to this racetrack and mention this name and people will perk up go to this bullfighting arena and mention this name he's like these people like put their lives in the line every single day so they could be the greatest and he, and he i love the line of like um he says I might be a pool player, probably the, like there's no no less important thing on the face of this earth, but I'm the best, and that means something. And it's like there's something there. It's like you you're like that's right, you know. And then and then he ends up saying something to Jesse along the lines of like you never make the great at anything by playing it safe. And there's just so much br- bravado there, but in the sense, that, but it's not like it's not like that big hulking masculinity, but there is a sense of pride that 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 Fats has. You know, and it's like, you know, he's like, you know, I'm not important to this world, but I'm the best at this and we're going to do yeah. this. And I, I, I respected that. And it's not so much bragging as it is just kind of matter the of fact. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's the truth about a lot of a lot of greats. Yeah. Um, a lot of legends. But yeah, so they finally decide on the the game that they're going to play, which I think was 14 and one. If yeah, I'm not 14, mistaken. one rack, 300 points. Yeah. So, yeah. So however you score points in pool, I don't know. Um, so it, I like before they started, though, this is one of those little moments with uh, uh, Jonathan Winters. He stops him. They're doing a coin toss and he stops him before he re- reveals it. And he's like, you know, you can still back out. This is your last chance to back out if you change your mind. And he says no. And so uh, Jesse ends up winning the coin toss at this point. And uh, he's happy about it because whoever I guess whoever doesn't break ends up having an advantage. Yeah, because because that the fats goes through this. He's like the man who breaks is a disadvantage. Basically saying, I'm opening up the table to you. Which I mean, since clearly you've you know exhibited your knowledge of pool, the 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 move that he he does at the beginning where he barely taps the rack, 
and causes the balls to all stay together is such a dick move, but it's like, it's like purposeful and competitive. And then, and then Jesse's like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then he barely taps the rack as well. And I thought this was going to be a back and forth of who could hit it less. Cause that's what yeah. it felt like. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I, I love that whole thing of this. Like, yeah, you think you got the upper hand? Look at this slow shit. That's coming at this rack right now. And I thought that was yeah. great. <laughs> Um, yeah, so eventually, uh, Jesse starts making some shots. He's feeling pretty good about himself. And right as he's bragging about his performance, he ends up scratching. Yeah. Hey, see, I knew a word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And yeah, then, so yeah, it becomes this thing where like, like you almost get the sense the entire time that Fats is letting Jesse like hang himself with his mouth the entire time because jesse's just like you could tell he's one of those guys that gets stressed and the first thing he does is starts talking you know and he just he just keeps going and going and going trying to find a way to get his fingers under like, like under his the skin of fats you know like trying yeah. to find something and he just kind of keeps going and then fats kind of keeps extolling these virtues of being the best and also kind of yeah. this whole thing of like knowing what's going to happen the entire time kind of thing yeah he's so unflappable too that you can tell He's trying to get under fat skin, but just the fact that he is so like <laughs> you cannot uh, get a reaction out of him that it's ending up causing Jesse to get more stressed and it's getting under his own skin. Like, yeah, at one um, point Fats is like, funny thing about geometry, almost isn't good enough. It's like, whoa, that's a that's another <laughs> jerk statement. It's great. You know, it's like. I I really really liked the back and forth between these guys. I really liked. You mentioned it was correct. Like in the 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 camera got more claustrophobic and, and zoomed in, and with yeah, the Dutch and angles, it gets really sweaty from here on out. <laughs> yeah, very sweaty. That you know you like it's black and white film, so you got to show tension by everybody getting super sweaty. That seems to be the go to, right? And <laughs> um, yeah, and, and like I just I liked it that every so often you would have this. It was basically a montage. Like there was a lot yeah, of montage. It was just a lot on. of back and forth, yeah. uh, a lot of reaction shots, mostly Jesse um, <laughs> with uh, him getting upset about losing or something, you know, but so, a lot of reaction shots, uh, some real tight close ups, everyone getting sweaty and stressed out. <laughs> so what kind of, what kind of song do you think, or what kind of music do you think should have been playing during a pool montage where the stakes are getting raised? Like just remove it from time. What would, what would you think would make a, some good music? And good thing you haven't seen The Color of Money because there's a great song in that that you're not going to use. But what do you think would be a great montage for pool shooting to make everybody just kind of like, you know, I get it. The, the stakes are high. Thrash metal. Thrash metal? <laughs> yeah, Perfect. That's, you know, <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say, too. Um, uh, I was going to use Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. That seems like always the best song to go with this kind of like back and forth. It doesn't really raise the tension. But you get that kind of cool, like, you know, these guys are going at it. It's it's a pool hall, and Green Onions goes with everything. Like, I don't know why. It seems like they'd be the music they'd be in my head watching all of this. Yeah, or maybe uh, something like Spanish Flea. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Herb Alpert. I love it, I love it, I love it. That'd be great, yes. Yeah. Um, No, but I I think the idea of a pool montage to thrash metal makes me laugh, though. (laughs) So the big song that came from The Color of Money was It's in the Way That You Use It by Eric Clapton. You know, and I think uh, if I don't know if you remember that song or not, but you should go back and watch the video. It's just nothing but Eric Clapton playing a guitar and people shooting pool. You know, so, <laughs> like, um, but yeah, like the whole th- they do a good job of showing that pool is partly psychological. You know, like you kind of rise and fall on how good you're doing. You know, and Jack Klugman, there's a bit where he misses a shot. He's just like his, he's hanging on the edge of this corner of the table and he takes his hat and crushes his hands as he watches the balls not go the way he wants. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, But the whole time, um, Fats is, is just really trying to psych him out. And he's talking about how he hates to see him wasting his life away in this pool hall and everything. He needs to go out and experience life. He's just really making him question everything he's working for. <laughs> and, uh, and at one point there's like, uh, um, the last couple balls on the table. And as he's going to shoot, he drops his pool cue on purpose and, uh, breaks Jesse's concentration. So I love like that whole psychological thing. Like you said, during this of him just trying to psych him out. A little, gaze- a little gazemanship is what he said. 
But yeah. I also like that he keeps saying, you know, you spend all your time in this pool hall. And he was like, he's like, yeah, he goes, but I've lived. So Fats tell him I lived. He's like, I've, I've made love. I've walked uphill. That seems like a weird thing to say. I swam in the ocean. I've worn yeah. long pants. You know, he's it, giving it all. beat the- me to it. <laughs> <laughs> he's given all these examples of like, yeah, I, I've done all this, but I've, uh, I've been to places where billiards have never even heard of before. Like he's basically saying, yeah, I've, I was the best, but I also lived my life, you know? And so in a way it's like, it's, it's almost like, be careful, be careful what you wish for in the sense of like, you might want this, but you got to balance it, you know? And so they get to the end of the game. And so it's, it's, uh, it was, it was 299 to 296 at the time. And meaning that there was four balls on the table. Jesse had to make one to get to 300 and, um, and fats had to make four and it becomes this whole back and forth of, uh, Jesse misses a shot and then Fats sinks three and then it's just one ball left on the table and they're talking about like, you know, like what's important and you can tell that Fats is kind of, he's really good at putting the cue ball where it needs to be, which is something that I'm never good at playing pool. Like I could never get the ball to go where I wanted to go after the shot and whoever was doing these shots on this episode were doing a really good job of placing the balls where they had to go. Uh, yeah. and uh, who, who knows how many takes it took, but whatever, it's magic. Um, and so he leaves he leaves Jesse an opportunity to win the game. And and Jesse's like flipping out saying, It's the game ball, it's the thing I've been waiting for my entire life. And Fats is like, Okay, well, just to let you know, you might win more than what you're bargained for. And he's like, What's that mean? He's like, I'm just required to say it. Like it was like a very weird, <laughs> ominous, just like, by the way, here's an addendum just as to make you think twice about what's going on, you know, and Jesse doesn't really pay attention and he makes the shot. And yeah, yeah, he wins. He wins. He grabs the ball, kisses it, falls on the table, rubs it in Fats's face, and then Fats <laughs> is happy. You know, he's actually he's actually relieved. Um, and so he's basically like, "You're right. Here you go. Congratulations." And and Jesse's like, basically, he wants to enjoy this moment of victory so much, but it's almost kind of robbed by Fats because Fats is like, "Good. I'm glad you beat me." And that kind of just takes the wind out of Jesse sails a little bit. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So as he's as he's talking to him, he's going over to the wall with the photo of Fats that's at the beginning of the one. And he's taking it off and he's talking to him. And he turns around and Fats is gone to even further uh, nail it or take the wind out of his sail. <laughs> like because uh, now there's nothing left. Like no one saw him beat him. Uh, no, but nobody would believe him. Like Fats is just gone. There's the <laughs> you know he achieved what he wanted to achieve, but uh, he doesn't get any of the acclamation that he wanted or yeah. what he thought he would get yeah and so. so then you know he throws the the framed picture breaks and breaks the glass and whatever and he talks about how he's the best and then it, it eventually cuts to heaven again and you well, see he starts yeah. he starts yelling his name he's like i'm um, the best jesse yeah. uh um god damn it. uh cardiff jesse cardiff and he's yelling it out so everyone can hear it and it eventually transfers over to that phone That's operator right. voice yeah. in heaven saying his name and calling him out. And now it's him sitting over that pool table in uh, but allegedly his, heaven. <laughs> his his body language is much different than Fats, though. Like Fats was like when you first see him, he's, he's like kind of at work, you know, like doing his thing. And then Jesse's like slumped over the table like defeated like i have to go do this again and he was being uh being summoned to sandusky ohio by the way i don't know if you pay attention to that <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> and so um yeah and basically like fats keeps telling the entire time that legends exist for people to aspire to something and he was like everybody needs a challenge you know like so you get the idea that fats existed uh because he was he was the mountaintop and jesse was shooting for it and he got it and because he got it, now he has the burden of being the best that everybody has to shoot for. So to give up that mantle would mean that you're not the best anymore, but the burden is that you take on all challengers, you know? So, um, you know, I, and then there's some surling, like, in, in, like ending about how Fats is now off fishing, like whatever, I guess that that's what happens in heaven whenever you're done being the legend and how like, this is like, this is the cost of admission to be the best. And that's it. That's your episode, you know, like, and you have yeah. uh, Jesse going to Sandusky just to uh, beat up on some scrubs playing pool. Yeah, uh, pretty solid episode. I I just I there's a lot of good ideas in mm-hmm. here. Like uh, a lot of the dialogue and stuff that uh, Fats is saying uh, really rings true. It's uh it's really good. Some great ideas, but the uh, 
something I pulled out that uh, I really didn't see anyone else writing about. You know, there's always that thing like when I get to this level, everything's going to be better. When I'm at this level, you know, like all I need is this and everything will be better. And this kind of plays into that where it's like if only I was the best, everything would be better, you know. Yeah. And uh, you finally get it and it's, it really doesn't solve your problems, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So that was that was something I really enjoyed in this. I love the whole that whole speech about legend serving a purpose for a challenge and inspiration and everything. Um, all that was fantastic. Yeah, no, really, really, really good character episode. Which um, this is the bread and butter of the Twilight Zone to me, where you have just this is just one set two two personalities facing off, right? And this could have been anything. It could have been, you know, pool. It could have been just like a simple discussion. Like it could have been anything. As long as you had the right characters interacting, you have a good potential episode. And uh, I mean, is this going to be one of my favorites of the series? I don't know about that, but I, I, I think the performances elevate this higher than a lot of things we've seen in terms of like the average Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, Jonathan Winters is like, he he's the MVP. Like Jack Klugman's great and I love him. And had it been anybody else other than Jonathan Winters, I don't know how I would have felt about Fats Brown, but Winters was a revelation. And it's a bummer that he didn't get to do too many other dramatic things. You know? Yeah. And it was just it's it's just a good, solid story. And it has it has a little bit of that surly twist at the end. And maybe I don't know if we should get into the meddling of the, of the episode yeah. now. Yeah. I, I'd like to hear because I <clears throat> It sounds like it was a more straightforward character ending. Yeah. Um, that uh, um, Clayton had, had put into this. George Clayton Johnson had put into this. So and yeah, um, yeah I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the whole heaven wraparound thing, mm-hmm. uh, but it was okay. I understood why it was there. You know, it kind of ties it into the whole supernatural thing of Twilight Zone and the fantastic. So I, I understand, but. Hearing what uh, George Clayton Johnson's ending was, and uh, from what I hear, I think the 1980s series, they redid this one and actually put that ending back in. Yeah. I'd be interested to see that actually played out. But yeah. it's unfortunate we won't get to see it played out with these two characters. So, yeah, so basically, actors. what happened was at the time, George Clayton Johnson was actually off with, um, oh, <laughs> uh, the, your, your favorite writer. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the other guy. Oh, Beaumont. Beaumont. Yeah, Beaumont. he was on the set for uh, The Intruder. Your favorite writer, uh, Charles Beaumont, that I can't remember his name. Yeah, he was on the set of The Intruder, the the you know the Bill Shatner racist picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and at the time, so he, like so, uh, Clayton Johnson was calling in, talking to Buck Howard, and Buck's like, hey, um, we're thinking about doing this. Rod has an idea. And, and, and Johnson's like, why? Like, I gave you this ending of – Fats beats uh, Jesse and basically walks out and like kind of leaves him like, you know, hey, you were close, but you didn't quite make it type of thing. And then he still disappears. So it's much more of the, you know, the, be careful what you wish for in terms of challenging the legends. But, you know, you didn't quite make it. And it was going to end more on a more grounded note. And that's the way that, um, you know, Johnson wanted it. And he didn't like Serling's ending, but Buck Howard's like, yeah, we're going to do that. He's like, if you were here in person, maybe you could have that discussion with Rod, but you're not here kind of thing where it was like, like, I feel like the more we learn about Buck Howden, he's more of the intermediate. Like he was that, that guy that could kind of translate like Serling's thought process to make it palpable to everybody else. You know, (laughs) like, I feel like that's kind of what was going on. And Howden had to be the bearer of bad news and tell this guy like, Hey, you're getting paid for your script, but we're going to change it, which he should have known that anyway. It could based upon the other things that we've seen, but he was kind of upset because he thought this was kind of a big, nice, like solid idea put together. And so, uh, Johnson, here's the quote he said. He was like, no, the whole idea here is that you're trying to suspend disbelief, not jam it down their throats. Let's be sane about this. <laughs> Just a slight tilt is all you need here. And, like, you know, I see where he's coming from, but I don't know how well that ending would have landed on this version of the series at this time. That's, yeah. you know, that's all. It, it doesn't sound like it would have fit within the Twilight Zone really at all. Yeah. Outside of a, a guy appearing and vanishing, you know, like it, it just doesn't really. It would have felt, I, I don't it, know. I, I feel think like it would have been too fit. slight. It's just too dramatic. Yeah. Like it would have been a better that would have been a better Playhouse 90, you know, where you just kind of yes. have that human yeah, human element. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, definitely. Um, I would agree with that. 
Yeah, so I like I like that uh, of of the creators that we're still talking about the Twilight Zone, George Clayton Johnson had strong opinions still about this episode later. Um, and then he was actually he was surprised about them redoing this for the '80s one because he didn't have the rights like CBS did. And when they picked it, and then he found out that everybody kind of wanted to do like his original ending, he was actually on board for it. So he didn't have the control of yeah, it, I, but they they chose to do that. Yeah, I, I heard that uh, it it went it didn't really go over with fans or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the I think the quote I saw said it went over with very little fanfare. <laughs> I was like, ah, all right, well maybe they made the right call change in the like, ending. Like, what if but... they would have brought back Klugman and Winters in the '80s for that episode and just redid it? <laughs> Like they were both around, have them just redo it and have a different ending. That would have been like that's I'm what not, I mean. I'm like, curious if uh, obviously I, I haven't seen that episode um, uh, from the '80s series, but I'm curious if it's just the performances aren't as good because I feel like these two guys could have carried that little more of a subtle ending, and yeah. it would have felt it would have felt fine. Uh, but maybe the performances aren't. Well, I, how could they be on par with these two? But yeah, so maybe that was the issue. So this, in this case, I think that Rod kind of like looking at it and being like, "This needs a little bit more pep." Like, I think that's a good call. Like, because there's times where I feel like he meddles a little too much and kind of like, kind of like steps on what was good about something. And even his intro, like he was like, "Be careful what you wish for." I'm out. Like you know, like that's. I felt like he did just enough to change the trajectory of the ending, but didn't like sully it so much. And I think that's probably the best way if, if this is the show that your name's attached to, you know, like, I don't think that was, I don't think his handling of it was incorrect. No, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the twist. I feel like they probably could have come up with something a little bit better, but yeah. Uh, cause, cause that whole thing, especially with the lady paging them over the, the PA or whatever. Um, I felt like, that was a little bit too goofy with the tone of this episode. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so I, I feel like they could have come up with something, but I I think the idea of adding a more fantastic element was not a bad idea for this. Yeah. So, so sorry, sorry, George Clayton Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm siding with Serling on this one. So uh, other things I found out about the episode is that Jack Klugman would pretty much say yes. Like whenever a part was offered him for the Twilight Zone, like he wanted to be part of this so much that he was like he didn't question when this was presented to him. And then he found out it was about playing pool, which is something he actually did like doing. And then he went into wardrobe and saw like the way they gave him the hat with the upturned bill and everything. He he was basically saying, I got Jesse from the moment I saw the wardrobe and I was in. And it's like you gotta respect that, that he like was so excited and adamant about how this character is gonna be. And then also the fact that like they're like, hey, you want to be the Twilight Zone? What character? It doesn't matter. Here's your script. And then he got excited like after the fact. I think that's pretty great. Um, and I also found out that Jonathan Winters had actually written a Serling about being on the show. And Serling wrote back to him saying, I'm trying to find a role for you. And then when this came uh, came to be, he was like, what about this? So Serling had been trying to write a part for, for Winters for a while and couldn't find something that worked. And then found this as the opportunity. So I thought that was kind of cool that he had Jonathan Winters in the back of his mind for a potential role at some point. And so there, there's a lot of a lot of forward momentum that went into making this what it was, and it shows. Yeah, I guess uh, I'm I'm trying to remember. I saw who his initial uh, Jack Warden was the actor he was going after. Who was? Uh... Oh, is that the one you're talking about? That was uh, in, from the Lonely. Yeah, and the, he was also the, in the Mighty the Casey. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Mighty Casey. There you go. Um, yeah, he was looking at him to play uh, to play the role of of Jesse or Fats. Oh no, it was Jesse. It was Jesse. Yeah, you My know bad. what? I thought I, it was Fats. I think he would have been he would have been okay with that too. I think he would have been fine. I just yeah, think, I'm glad it was Klugman though. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. So yeah, for some reason I was thinking Fats, and I was like, that would have been a completely different episode. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. That'd have been that'd have been weird. Um, so uh, you bring back Cadwalder. That would have been great to have that guy show up again. Uh, Cadwalder. That's it. Yeah, that he would that be... would have fit. Uh, that would have tied it into the whole like pool heaven thing. Yes, because um, <laughs> like... his performance would have been a little bit goofier. I think that would have. I don't. I I don't think the episode would have been uh, hailed as a classic <laughs> anymore because the whole middle part would have uh, not played as well. No. But. 
if you're trying to get the tone of the episode right throughout the whole thing, I feel like that would have connected it to it. Yeah. So, That's... so yeah. Um, yeah. So game pool, it, it's a good episode. It's a good, this would be like one of those ones where it's like, if you want to show somebody that a 24 minute script gets plenty across and you don't need a big budget, you just need a good idea and good dialogue and good character dynamics. This is like one of those, like how to write a good short story episodes, you know? And I, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was surprised how much, uh, I enjoyed it. Cause I was, I was kind of dreading it. Cause I was like, ah, pool episode. This sounds like it's not going to be up my alley. I'm, I'm missing the horror. I need some horror episodes and I feel like we're far away from them. No, well, no, maybe two. There's one called the grave two episodes away, but, um, yeah, I, I was surprised how much I really enjoyed this. And yeah. like, we've, we've gone on and on about it. I, I'm, Given them VP to the uh, actors in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, but again, Buzz Kulik did a great job as yeah. well. Um, this this was this easily could have just stick a camera in three locations and knock it out kind of production. But he actually brought uh, a lot of creativity to the way this episode looked. Yeah. So, all right, that's what I got for this. Um, just because we got to do it. We- <laughs> We gotta we gotta rate the twist. Let's just see how that goes. <laughs> um yeah, here it comes. I put the I put down the twist would be that uh, Jesse would take Fat's place and pull heaven and be awaiting challengers. Uh I, I gave the twist a two. Um I feel like that was telegraphed from the moment you saw Fats leave Heaven. Like I feel like that was kind of already in the back of your head. Um I will say that with a grain of salt that I had seen this episode previously, so I already kinda knew where it was going. Um, but I feel like a two is about where it should be. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna agree with you. That's pretty spot on. Um, yeah, Serling sets it up. You know, the whole careful what you wish for thing, which is something that goes throughout this entire series. There's so many episodes that deal with that. Um, he he lays it up. You see him in heaven, and he constantly warns him throughout the episode. Like, are you sure this is what you want? Like, you can back out. You can do. You know. Um, so when you finally see what's happened it's it's not really a surprise but like i said I, I don't think it's it's terrible it just it's it's not what i wanted for this episode as far as like the ending but <laughs> it's fine i'll just go with the two on it <laughs> all right so that's going to do it for a game of pool um we'll get to some business here and then we got some other stuff so so kevin how can people get a hold of us uh we can find us on facebook and instagram and uh, if you want to leave us an email or voicemail, which we have voicemail to play tonight, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then if you would please rate and review us, uh, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, we're there. And if uh, you would rate and review us, it would really help us out, get the show to a few more people. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, uh, we do have a voicemail. It's from a loyal listener, Nick, who has been active on our Facebook page, putting up some amazing things. Uh, I really, really enjoyed his uh, his picture-by-picture description of the Charles Bronson White Russian from our telephone episode. <laughs> and I enjoy that he called us uh, good men, reliable, and sober. Um, and I, I, I said the two of those were right. So, um, so yeah, we got Nick's, uh, got Nick's voicemail and we'll listen to that and then, um, we'll, we'll react. Maybe he says horrible things. Uh, he doesn't say horrible things, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, here we go. Hey, what's up, Paul and Kevin? Uh, this is Nick. Uh, I haven't called in for a while, but, um, like I've said before in some of my, um, voicemails, I still haven't caught up with all the episodes of, uh, uh, Twilight Zone, and usually what I do is calling into your show is kind of like when I, after I listen to a bunch of episodes and I got, I feel like an on-running theme, maybe discuss it, like a, throw up a, a question to you guys, so that's what I'm doing here. Um, throughout the series of Twilight Zone, you know, you have a lot of episodes that are obviously almost like, um, not silent pictures, but there's a lot of non-talking in them. And I recently listened to an episode of season... It, you guys did one on um, season three, episode one, two, with the great uh, Charles Bronson. And you guys brought up a, a lot of it where it was, you know, just him and the woman. And, you know, there was a lot of silence. There was a lot of, you know, gestures with um, facial expressions, 
moments, stuff like that. And my my the thing that got me thinking was maybe a lot of Twilight Zone episodes are like that because if you think about it, and this is just me guessing, thinking of an idea, I could be completely wrong. This was I I looked up 1959 was when they started. Um, this was well, I guess 60. So three years. So I'm sorry, three thirty years after um, the silent era had uh, ended. Of film, so maybe, you know, in filming the Twilight Zone, they thought, you know what, this is something really new to people. Let's let's kind of hone them into something they kind of know. And not saying that there weren't talkies. Obviously, there were talkies by that time, but you know, kind of do some silent, almost almost silent episodes, where because back then I feel like the the. The audience watching then would understand that more, would pick up that on more, like, oh, look at that person, he's looking at that button, that means probably something with, you know, the bomb or something like that. I think they would pick up on that more than audiences, especially in today's day and age. I mean, if someone doesn't talk through, for more than two seconds, someone, you know, complains that this movie's too silent. You know what I'm saying? So, I, I was just wondering, like, and maybe that's what you you guys know, and I'm just guessing. Um, maybe that's what they kind of touch on more with a lot of these silent, not silent, but you know, long pauses in in a lot of the episodes, and and not so much dialogue, or a lot of like when it's a person by themselves, like lost on an island or something in an episode. There is a lot of silence, obviously, and I feel like they know how to film that well, and they know how to write a story around that well. That that's what worked, and. That's just a suggestion I'm throwing out to you guys if you kind of feel the same way or don't. So, uh, love the show. I'm about two episodes left and I'm caught up completely. And um, thanks again for uh, listening to this. Bye. So, I, I, I agree in the sense that I feel like a lot of stuff anymore is chock full of constant dialogue. And I say that on a podcast where I just run through like a bull in a china shop the entire time. Um, like, <clears throat> silence has its place. And I have not seen I've not seen a quiet place yet, and I, and it's it's a mission on my part. Um, I've heard that people were in the theater watching this and feeling self conscious if they're eating food because the movie has long stretches where there's no sound whatsoever, and that's that's the exception now, right? Um, yeah, I, silence is used very very well, and I think people that are smart, uh, not smart, but what's the word I'm looking for? If you plan for it, it's very effective. I feel like it's it's very easy to keep like showing and, and or telling and not showing with a lot of stuff we see now. And, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I feel like some of this stuff like the, the sophisticated storytellers know when to shut up and when not to. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen that uh, Serling can write some very verbose teleplays. <laughs> I mean, there were some episodes that have way too much dialogue in them, yeah. you know. Um, but he isn't afraid of doing that thing. And I definitely, there, there's gotta be a holdover from the silent film era. I mean, um, they still make silent films to this day. I mean, people try it, but I mean, the silent film era really ended in like 1930 because that's when the talkies started happening. So we're really not that far away from it. Mm -hmm. Because imagine it's like going back and watching a 1980s film right now, you know? So Everyone that was working on these, that's what they grew up with as far as silent film era. So I, I can definitely see that just being a part of their language of storytelling um, coming from that. But <clears throat> I think a lot of it was more just Rod Serling's ambitious, <laughs> I don't know, dramatic um, storytelling that he was trying to do in this. And he wasn't afraid... Uh, to let the images speak for themselves. So, so I, I don't know. It, it's but, funny that we we mentioned the silent film stuff, and I just I I saw this in passing, and we haven't gotten there yet. It's soon. Uh, season three, episode thirteen is called "Once Upon a Time." It has Buster Keaton in it, who is like you know one of the big silent film comedians. And it's actually that's actually the middle point of the Twilight Zone, by the way. So that's another uh, guidepost right there. So think about that. We're about to have an, about two months time talking. Uh, an episode in which there was a great silent film star headlining an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, that's what I mean. So we're not too far from it. So uh, 
I, I guess, long story short, I I definitely think that these could be influenced by that because that's what all of these people working grew up watching, you know. So, and it now we have so we have over a hundred years of film uh, storytelling that we can look at, and audiences have in some ways become. I, I what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I mean, spoiled, sophisticated, like sophisticated yeah. in some ways, because like we uh, we understand certain shorthand mm-hmm. with visual storytelling and everything. And back then, you had to be a little bit more. Uh, you, the gestures were bigger, you know. You had to play it out, and that was something that silent film, obviously, without having dialogue, you'd have to deal with. Everything was bigger. Even the, the gestures were bigger. Yeah. What was that? Even the convention of how a film works, like speaking of Buster Keaton, there was a, one of those short films or silent films, I should say, where <clears throat> you see him exit a building, get into a car, drive that car and take like a big U-turn and go all the way to the other side of the street, get out of the car and walk into the other building and then begins the other scene because he was making fun of the notion that audiences couldn't follow the idea of a cut. Like yeah. he was basically drawing out this big long sequence of him driving in a car, parking and then walking into the next building because he was aware of how film worked and how the mind should work, but the audience were still catching up to it. And I feel like what you're talking about going big, there's a lot of this where um, I'm trying to think like King nine is an episode that you probably could have taken half the dialogue out of that. And it still would have been as effective, but you had that actor like still talking to himself as he's walking around, looking at this airplane. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for good and for bad, even like the hitchhiker, like they did a good job of having the voiceover of, uh, you know, of Nan driving, you know, and it's like, it's, it, it has its place and I, you know, and Nick, you're right. I mean, like, I feel like there is sensibilities from then reaching into the, the, what we're watching on the twilight zone now, but I feel like there's still, it's, it's another, it's another, uh, tool in your belt to tell a good story. And the, the smart people that want to that know how to tell a good story know that's just one more way to get something across that you don't have to directly look at the camera and be like, this is what I'm thinking now, which I feel like is the easy way out. Yeah. So, but I yeah. think it's funny saying like we have gotten lazy too. I, yeah. I like how you said sophisticated and lazy together because it's, yeah. it, <laughs> we it's what's true it. though, in, in both equal measure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like we understand things kind of subconsciously. You know, like we don't have to, like you've mentioned, see somebody get in a car to go to a new location. We just kind of understand they got there. You know, like whatever. Nothing important happened. We don't need to see that. Uh, but at the same time, like if a movie takes 10 minutes to show someone driving and there's a reason for it in character, a lot of people don't want to sit through that. You know, it's it's just, it's interesting. Um, But I I think it all comes down to storytelling. If you can tell a good story visually or with dialogue or with both, you know, it's, it's all in the way the story is being told. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, uh, no, thank you, Nick, for, for that, uh, that, uh, voicemail. And again, you guys can send, send us voicemails. Uh, if whatever, whatever topic we want to talk about, if it's about the episode or just the idea of what was going on at the time of making these, yeah. please, we love the conversation. So yeah, <laughs> if you want to, uh, send me a voicemail explaining the rules of pool, <laughs> um, we'll listen to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll rack it up. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So next episode, is the mirror. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and do my best here. I've been, I've doing really well this season. So let's see if I can make it, uh, what episode are we on now? Um, five. <laughs> five, five, let's see if I can make it, make it uh four for five. Cause I don't think I did one for the first. Well, whatever. We'll see. Uh, already. I'm messing it up. We've had some performances of great depth on the twilight zone. And next week is no exception. A distinguished and incredibly talented young man leads us, lends us his services when Peter Falk stars in the mirror. This is the story of a tyrant and his assassins, a shattered dream, and the death of a cause. Next week on the Twilight Zone, the mirror, and that's the death of me doing them perfectly for the season. So oh, there we you go. Started out so strong. Yeah, too. I was just like leads. I, I no. closed my eyes and I thought no. Serling was talking to me. Yeah, I was just a smoky pool hall in Sandusky. You know, um, now so this is a, the young talents of Peter Falk. So we'll be talking about Peter Falk next week. Um, some some interesting things about him I did not know about that we will talk about next week when we get there with the mirror. Oh, now I'm excited. Yeah, it's good cliffing. Yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, have a safe week. Um, 
go play pool or go challenge Kevin to pool because you'll be probably you could probably just tell him anything. He would believe you and be like, "Oh, you're supposed to sink the red ball first. I guess I won." And he'd be like, "That's right." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I play pool like once a year. <laughs> once, Leave me alone. Once a year. <laughs> guess it's time to play that one year, one game game a year of pool. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week for the mirror. Yeah, leave me alone, guys. You say I don't want to be the best bad enough, but you're wrong. Oh, boy, are you wrong? Do you know how many hours, how many years, how much of myself I put into this game? How many nights I slept on that table right there? Yeah, I did that. I made a deal with the owner so I could practice after the place closed. I haven't been to the movies in years. I haven't dated a girl, read a book, because it would take time away from the game. Still talking, nothing else. I'm good, mister. I'm, I'm, I'm good.